Hey, this is Jeff. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk to another great leader about faith, church, and leadership. Welcome to the Leadership Drip. Everybody, welcome back to the Leadership Drip. We are so excited today to have Holly Brown, who's the executive pastor at Embrace Church. She is the wife of our friend Chris Brown, who's on the show yeah. uh, this past season, and she's a speaker. She's a writer. Uh, she's the co-owner of Mule Town Farm in Columbia, Tennessee, which we're going to talk about in just a moment because their social media feeds are amazing. So, but Holly, we are so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys for having me. I'm super excited to be here with you. I have to make a confession. Okay. So we already, we just <laughs> yes, started. Yes. <laughs> so in episode 36, we interviewed Adam Weber, right? Yes. You had the contention with Adam over yes. the Steelers and the Bengals. Adam and I almost got in a fist fight online. Yeah. It was hard to go over the, on, over on the Bengals and Steelers. Yeah. Fist fight on Zoom. <laughs> He's the executive pastor at Adam's church. And I did not know that when we talked to Adam and like, we talked to Adam on like a Thursday and Chris and Holly visited campus on like Saturday. That's right. And I had no clue. I was like, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I'm making my confession that Adam, I didn't know you'd had Holly Brown on your staff. Yeah. And also Adam and I didn't get in. Yeah, that's true, that's true. It was very civil. Very civil. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Adam's so, wonderful. How are things on the farm? They're good. They're going really, really well. We, uh, we love it here. And uh, we're just constantly, I mean, we're in a, it's a 200 year old property. So if you think about that, um, how are things going? That means um, nothing currently right now, you know, like is, is breaking or falling down on us, <laughs> but we're getting to the point where I think we've replaced everything. Um, so hopefully we're good to go for a few more years. Such as, such as the farm life, you know, growing up on a farm, I get that. Now, did you grow up on a farm? Not at all. Experience? No, not at all. And neither did Chris. And we're not really farmers. We call ourselves urban farmers. We do Airbnbs <laughs> yes, and yes. Um, we have animals so that when people look at the farm, they think gotcha. it's a farm. <laughs> so it's kind, of a, but, it's kind of a boutique farm, like a chic boutique. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're urban. That's what I call it. So I'm going to, I'm making all kinds of confessions today. Maybe I just need to go to church more often. But, I think you need to um, So my favorite bands need to breathe. And so Seth Bolt, who plays guitar, they have the Bolt tree houses. Have you seen these? No. So like they have these boutique tree houses you can go stay in. They're like super cool. So yeah. they've been killing it with that. Like they're like out in the middle of nowhere. And it's like a tree house. And it's got like all this like fancy stuff in it. They're wild. So I'm in. Wow. They're Bolt, no, I'll have to look those up. up so <laughs> so it, anyways but what do you guys do with the it's not so it's not a farm it's kind of a boutique airbnb so what do you guys really do there though as far well as we live town? here well, yes <laughs> and we have um three airbnbs so we have uh, like a 200 year old uh cabin that uh that people stay in then we have our the guy who owned the property before us was actually a veterinarian and okay. so he had his clinic on the property. So we turned his clinic into another Airbnb. Cool. And then um, he actually had built a house for his children back in the 30s. And um, so we Airbnb his the little three bedroom, two bath kind of ranch house. So we Airbnb all those. And then we live in a 200 year old house that um, supposedly David Crockett has stayed in here uh, before. So that's how old, that's how old our house is. Um, so it's, it's definitely unique, no closet space, low ceilings, but we love it. Well, I say, keep telling the story until it becomes a true story. So you just need to say <laughs> David Crockett stay here. That's this, right. bed, this exact that's bed right. right here. David Crockett. That's right. Right. <laughs> Forget the fact gift, we right? bought it at world market about five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh man, hey, uh, maybe a lot of people don't know, but you are um, an executive pastor, which has all kinds of connotations and descriptions and you know realities attached to it. But um, but you actually serve in one of the most unique executive pastor roles that I've ever heard, because you don't actually live in the same place that the church is located. And so maybe kind of give us a little bit of background on number one, how that came to pass. Number two, what sort of navigating that, um, that reality has been like for you? Oh, certainly. Um, yes. So I live in Nashville and the church that I work at is in South Dakota, Sioux Falls. And so how that came about, honestly, about four years ago. So I've been doing this for four years and it seems like, you know, in the last year, maybe with COVID people have become more and more open to this possibility. Uh, but I really credit just Adam and his creativity, but um, who Adam, the lead pastor, uh, my boss, but so four years ago, I had just gone through something at the church that I was working at in Nashville. It was a, a large church as well that I was the executive pastor for. And uh, I really was at a point where I was ready to give up on just honestly local church ministry and uh, mm -hmm. my calling in that sense um, was ready. I'm going home. I'm going to be a stay at home mom. I've got this. I'm doing it. And so um, that was my thought. That's what I wanted. And um, it's so crazy because now people ask me to come and talk about pioneering something that nobody else has been doing. And I'm like, I wasn't pioneering anything. I was surviving my calling. And um, I didn't know at the same time, often when we're surviving, God's actually pioneering something so new. And so about three months into um, just leaving my last place, uh, Adam reached out and just said, you know, hey, would you come out and um, just look at, you know, look at our staff, look at our campuses, tell me what you think about them. Um, so I did that, spent a weekend out there with the team, just kind of pouring into them and just offering some just thoughts. And, um, and later that week he called me and he's like, Hey, I got the craziest idea. Would you be willing? And I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. Are you crazy? That'll never work. So we started like, and he, Adam just, if you know anything about Adam, he is relentless. Right. Um, so he just never let up. And, um, so he kind of wrote me in and said, let's start with just 30 days, just 30 days. I just want you to try it. And then we went to 90 days they went to six months and uh, four years later in uh, full-time executive pastors where we're at. So, and I love it. I love my team. Um, I ask people or I tell people all the time that I feel just as close, if not closer to my team, they feel like family to me. And part of that is because when I am there, we're just so intentional relationally. They tell right. me all the time, we've never had a boss that we, you know, went out to dinner with once a month, you know, and, but because we're only have that one time a month, we drop everything. We spend time together. We invest in our relationships and each other's family lives and all that stuff. So uh, it's actually been kind of a neat dynamic to see how intentional you are when you know your time is limited. Yeah your face-to-face -face time is limited. Right, right. Um, and so, so yeah, so it's been, it's been a great dynamic and we, I've really enjoyed it. So you mentioned pioneering this and it's certainly the first sort of situation like this I've, I've come across. What has the nuts and bolts of it looked like? So, I mean, obviously traditionally you go into the office and you do all the office type things, but you're remote working and a, in a pastoral role. So what's some of the nuts and bolts look like for you, Holly? Yes. Uh, so I, what it looks like for me is basically I do everything online. 
that you would do in the office. I lead all, I lead the meetings that I lead are all still led, uh, just led through the screen. Um, sometimes I lead staff meeting um, through through the screen as well. And then um, the, the pastoring part of it, I pastor the staff. So I do get face to face with them often. I don't feel like I miss that too much. Now, when I'm there in person, I go about once a month in person, spend about three days there. And that is all pastoring. And that is 100% relational and pastoring all the strategic things, all the, um, honestly, the spreadsheet things, all of that happens when I'm online and I just take full advantage of taking conversations where sometimes you just can't go, you know, when you're, when you're through a screen and things like that, when I'm in person. Um, so, so it, it tends to work out the parts that you miss or the quick side conversations of, mm. Hey, Jeff, remember how we mentioned that? Could you do this? You know? So I miss some of that, but we're a multi-site church uh, and that's where most of my experience lies. So I honestly think it, it lends itself to this because they don't see each other every day either. It's not like I'm the only person that's not seeing everyone. Um, they don't see each other, but once a week as well. And so it doesn't really feel that different. Yeah. So it's part of the culture then. Yeah. That's it great. is part of the culture. And uh, it you know, it's, it's, it's been that way in, in my past churches as well, where, where I didn't see every single person on my team every single day. So I kind of, kind of used to have it of, uh, you know, three people in seats and four on, on, you know, video. So that's been normal for at least the last 10 to 12 years of ministry for me. Yeah. The multi-site paradigm is, is interesting coming from multi, multi-site background myself. Um, there are a lot of people uh, outside of the multi-site realm who make, who make assumptions about what it, it's like or how it functions or the way it operates. But in my experience, it seems to echo quite a bit the same of yours is, is there is a very intentional relational dynamic that happens because of the limited time that you actually get to be with each other, which creates a, a sense of camaraderie and connectivity um, on, on a different kind of level. So, so for those of you who are curious about multi-site church leadership, multi-site church realities, um, my experience, multi-site churches have very high relational uh, platforms, uh, backgrounds that, that build very well that into the DNA of the culture. And so uh, it's an interesting kind of world we live in, but let's kind of back up even further a little bit. Sure. We talked about a little bit, you getting into um, this executive role in, in, in ministry, but uh, one of the things that we talk about all the time on campus here is, is calling. And a lot of students here in our current context are really struggling with this idea of vocation and calling in ministry. They have a heart for ministry, but it's in this entrepreneurial world or it's in a business world or it's in a medical world. And so um, for you, how, having the skill set that you do, was it your intention to always go into the church or did you have other plans before that? I mean, kind of give us some more background about how you worked out calling out in your life. Oh, certainly. I went to college to be a nurse and I was a nurse for eight years, a pediatric nurse. I loved ministry. I probably would have told you as a young girl, I grew up at a Christian home. So I probably would have told you, heck yes, I want to be a missionary at the time. It was, you know, for females, it was a missionary or play the piano, I guess. Like those are the only <laughs> two options. Um, so I would have chose missionary. Um, and so uh, that would have been, that would have been the route I, I think I preferred and, and everyone else probably would have. So, but I, I didn't, when I, 
when I got to college and realized that at that time, this was in the late nineties, realized that there's not a lot of options for females in ministry at, at that time. And so it kind of just was a done deal unless you married a pastor, like you're right. either going to marry a pastor or you don't really have an avenue. And so I went into nursing. It was, I'm, I'm very practical. It was logical. Uh, I had a father who died young. So I knew if something did, if I did get married, something happened to him, I could support my family. This is a logical decision. I like people. And so I did nursing for eight years and it actually wasn't until I started serving in a local church, uh, Elevation Church. That's where my husband first started in ministry. And I started serving there and they began to give me roles that match more along what I felt not gifted at the time. I didn't even know it, um, but more in kept pushing me in leadership and leadership. And then uh, we, we ended up eventually moving to a church in Miami where the lead pastor was a Southern Baptist pastor at the time. And, and against pretty much everything in that culture was I have a commitment to help you and your husband uh, fulfill everything that God's put inside of you. And you have this gift and I'm not going to I'm not going to turn away from, from the gift God's put in you just because you're a female. And so he really helped pioneer something for me that I didn't know. And at that time I really struggled. Well, do I go this route in ministry now, or do I continue on in nursing? Which one do I choose? And there was a lot of ministry options in nursing, a lot of ministry options. And so I really struggled with that. I read a book called the will of God is a way of life by Jerry Sitzer. If you've never read it, I would highly recommend it, but it just talks so much as we think this whole idea of finding God's will or finding our calling is like a, what we've been taught sometimes is like, it's a treasure that we've got to uncover and we got to find it. And we've got this treasure map and you have to search for it. And so often what God really cares about is who we are. And he doesn't always care that too much about the path we take. Like, do you want to be a nurse? Great. Go be a nurse. Do you want to be in ministry? Then follow that. Like, I want you to, to, to follow whichever one, what I care about Holly is who you're becoming mm -hmm. as you follow those things. And it gave me a lot of freedom to, to not feel like I'm getting it wrong. You know what I mean? Like if there's no wrong choice and if I do choose the wrong path, he's going to correct that. You know, there's the verse of Proverbs that said, trust the Lord, uh, is it trust in the Lord with all your heart? And he will make your path straight right. that I think the NLT says he will make your path straight. He doesn't say you're going to choose the right path. He said, you trust me. I'll make the path you choose right. You know, right. I'm going to make the path you choose straight. And that just gave me so much more freedom that there isn't one right way for Holly. There is, and sometimes I can say, I love them both, but right now I really want to pursue this. And that's just kind of how it lined up in my life. And that book intersected with an opportunity and a leader that was paving the way for, for females in, in church ministry at the time. And so all of that intersected and I made the switch and haven't looked back since. We, and, and I, I don't want to sound braggadocious or a humble brag, but I feel like on the show, we've heard a champion women in ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had lots of conversations sure. with, and lots of varying conversations. Um, I remember speaking with Alex Seely, who comes from Australia and she goes, it wasn't a big deal in Australia. And then we talked to Beth Moore, who's Southern Baptist and, and a little bit older. And it's a very big deal. I mean, she's right. been through the ringer on it. And then we talked to, young leaders like Hannah Gronowski and Hope Mo Quinn, and they have no idea that it's not allowed, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so how have you navigated that for yourself? And, and what could you say maybe to, because in the late nineties, it was the same way here. You were going to be a missionary. If you were female and you were studying Bible <laughs> theology, 
or you studied children's ministry or you were going to be a missionary. Like the door right. was not open to pastoral ministry. To, to right, people. right. Um, so to women, young women who are wrestling that calling for themselves, what encouragement could you give them? Yes, I would give them, I would just tell them that, thank God that we are in a culture nowadays that it does seem to be changing a little bit. Um, and I'm thinking because I, I don't know how many are still hitting that lid, you know, right. and it's a really big, it is a big, it has been a big thing. Thank God we're not as, as far, as far, but you still face it. Like I still have people that won't come to churches when I go and speak, if they know I'm speaking on the weekends, like they're not going to show part of their congregation's not going to show. And thank God there's leaders that still, that will be okay. Like they still ask me to come. <laughs> like I'm like, yeah. you know, a lot of your people won't come that weekend, you know? And, um, and honestly, I, I mean, I could go on theologically forever. That would be a whole nother show about it. And, um, in, in my stances on where we've misinterpreted the scripture on that. But I do, I always cling to the fact that Jesus trusted Mary Magdalene with, with the gospel before he trusted anybody else. And all I am is a carrier of the gospel. And he said, Mary, I want you to go. I want you to go tell my disciples. The disciples were the leaders. He had no problem with a female going to the highest level of leadership <laughs> in what was going to be the church and carrying the gospel to them. That's all I want to do is carry Jesus to this world. And, um, and I, I see when I look at Jesus's life, everywhere he went, he actually, um, he promoted women and he went against the cultural grain, you know, and, and in Australia, and I know in, in England, like that, they don't even battle that, they didn't battle that for hundreds of years. Um, so it is a cultural thing for us, um, but it, I always look to Jesus's life and I look to what he did and the radical things that he did. And that was one of the things that just happened to be radical. I'm always still surprised it's kind of radical, you know, <laughs> in some places, but that's okay. And that's, that's what, uh, you know, sometimes um, past uh, traditions do, but I would just encourage women that if you have that calling and, or you have that burden, God will place you. He knows it. He knows what he's put in your heart and he's going to place you with a leader or somebody, a, a, a founder or somebody who recognizes that. My dream is that one day we don't actually have to have, you know, 10 years ago, if you think about a lot of the really strong women in our, in our present day, like uh, Christian culture, Beth Moore, Christine Kane, although she's a little bit different um, because she was able to stay in leadership at her church. Uh, 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 Joyce Meyer, they all actually had to go outside the covering of the local church in order to start a ministry. Lisa Turker, like, you know, and, and I'm not saying they all tried to start it inside their church. I, I don't know that, but all I know is they started their own ministries so that their gifting and their calling could be expressed in, in this culture. I just want to see that happen in the local church. I want the local church to say, Beth Moore's our girl. We love her. We're going to let her go. You know, we're, God has anointed her and we're going to let her go. We're going to let Joyce Meyer go. We're going to, and so I just, that's my dream. I believe we're becoming more and more um, open to that. But I, I would tell women who have that, God knows what he put inside of you. And he's going to make a way. He's going to make a way for that calling. Be faithful. Don't be bitter. Don't, don't scream, you know, <laughs> and sometimes that's the one thing that I do think we have to be really careful. Cause sometimes I'll hear women say, I didn't get the job because I'm a female and it's like, no, 
you weren't good. That's why I didn't get the job. <laughs> like, and so we have to be careful that we don't scream discrimination when it's really qualification, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, and so so I would just say keep working, keep working out your calling and trust your God to open the doors for that. That's so cool. And I think uh, as the saying goes, we're not where we were, but we're not where we hope to be, right? Right, so, right. You know, but we're making we, huge steps. We're making huge steps. I mean, uh, I mean, and at the time of the recording of the show, we've gotten past the inauguration. Um, first female vice president or president mm-hmm. in American history. I mean, these are right. these are monumental strides. Absolutely. Um, in the culture of our of our nation and uh, I think they will have reverberations across so many different platforms, uh, Christian and non-Christian, right? Uh, secular or sa- or sacred doesn't doesn't really matter. But but right. I think we're progressing. Like that's that's the main thing. We're we're moving forward. So that's right. Great conversation, and and thanks for kind of being open I, and willing to share. And that. and listen, Absolutely. we will shout out Beth Moore is our girl. We yeah. love Beth Moore. <laughs> love she was Beth on the Moore. show, and she was yeah. she's become a fast friend. She she is one of our our favorites all time so that's awesome i love her uh also at the recording of the show there's also been some future developments that i believe your husband chris and i love the social media transparency that that transpired you know (laughs) like yeah like between (laughs) between the married couple (laughs) chris let something out of the bag before before husband and wife in full agreement (laughs) on the announcement but 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 we're past that now. All given, <laughs> I assume hope. we hope we hope Chris is not in the doghouse, not just the farmhouse, but not in the doghouse. But yes, but, uh, there you go. Short, uh, you guys, uh, God has really put on your heart to sometime in the near future actually plant your own church where you are there in Columbia, Tennessee. And Jeff and I are both uh, church planner experience kind of guys, and, and we love the conversations because honestly, I don't know if you can ever have too many churches. I agree. Right? Uh, so, so kind of walk us through what that experience has been like for you and, and um, you know, what kind of has led to this moment for you and your husband, Chris, to, to kind of take this step of faith. Yes. So we started to pray about this. I would say, well, we've been struggling, honestly, for about seven or eight years as to whether or not God was nudging us towards this step. And we've wrestled and timing, just having us both in alignment at the same time has just not been for the last seven, eight years, you know, it's something we've both been open to, but not, not fully a hundred percent at the same time until this past fall. And we committed a couple of months to serious prayer about this, uh, but really it became more about the burden God was just giving us for this city and seeing that we're in the South. So there are a lot of churches and that probably is something that's held us back because there's a lot of churches and we love the local church and we've given our career to helping help other church, like serve churches. And so we never, we, we just thought, no, we'll just help all the churches around us and, and serve them. And uh, this burden just wasn't going away. And what we have found is there are a lot of churches, but there aren't a lot of people walking in freedom there's not a lot of people just exploding from, from just a real intimate relationship with the Lord and what that can do um, in their life. And we were that way. Elevation came to Charlotte in, uh, I think it's been about si- 17 years, maybe now, exactly. uh, maybe 16, somewhere around in there. And we, we were just, we were active churchgoers, but we were dead in our faith. Our faith did right. nothing to help us get victory in everyday life. And it wasn't until we 
we were in that move of God and, and God lit a fire in us that just has not been put out. And we just felt like God's calling us this, 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 this city, these people um, need to be awakened in their faith. And I want you, I want you to show them what that looks like to really have my power in them to overcome addictions, to put marriages back together, to, to, to get out from underneath the dark clouds of depression and anxiety. So honestly, that's been more of what our, our, our community is facing. That's really drawn us to that. And we know that Jesus is the answer. We know the freedom that he brings. And so that's, so this fall we committed to it. We prayed about it. And um, for the first time we're, we're like, we're both 100% on board and, and we're ready to do this. I think this is such an important conversation for young leaders, especially people who have a calling in a ministry because youth will give you the vision, but it won't necessarily birth the burden. Right. Yes. So, so what's so important about this process is that it began with a burden for you guys, a heart that is broken for the community that you're serving in or that you're planting in. And, and vision is great, but vision without burden is is dangerous. Right. It can become something way other than than what it needs to be. So, yes, uh, I appreciate you kind of leading off with that burden aspect. Yeah. Well, and I think it's so true, because to be honest, what's kept my own insecurities from, from fully launching is I've seen that I've seen vision without burden. I've seen young and, and, and I was a young leader. And if it weren't by the grace of God, I, I could have lost everything. Yeah. And, um, and my husband spends a lot of his time loving and restoring pastors that have, and so that have lost their family or have lost their ministries. And, I genuinely believe because Chris and I are, uh, Chris is 43. I'm, I'm, I'm 40. And so, you know, we're a little bit probably later than what the last <laughs> generation of, or not generation, but in the last five or six years, it seems like a lot of people are launching young. And I think that's fabulous. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. but I have no doubts that if I hadn't gone through what I've gone through in ministry up to this point, I think I would, I could have cost us everything because the reality of how many pastors can lose everything. The reality of how many marriages don't make it. The re- like it is a sobering reality to me. It's one of the scariest things about it all to me. Um, how many families fall apart that I, I didn't have that. I would have thought that we're oblivious to that. We're madly in love. We love parenting. We love Jesus. Good people end up in dark places. And until you've seen that happen a lot, you, I just would never have ever thought that I just would have always thought my passion would overcome any temptation. Right. And, um, and in that now I just know that's not the way it works and that's not how it happens. Very passionate people lose everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I'm, I'm thankful that I'm just at a more, it's scarier to me because I know what the reality is in the, in right. the, you know, and now all the statistics have names and faces of people I love to it. Um, and I don't, so I want to rewrite that and I want to help rewrite that, but, um, it's sobering. It's a sobering reality to me. Yeah. And what's interesting, and, and I want to touch on this because you've worked with um, Adam Weber in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. This has worked sort of separately with some church networks and the separate churches. So you have two people who are both called and married that have sort of been on separate tracks or in separate sort of environments. How have you guys navigated that as a married couple and as ministers, both of you? Yes. So we are in separate churches, but 
Chris and I are in ministry together and everything probably, I mean, I probably everything that you might see or his church might see has some touch of Holly on it. And the same thing with everything that I do has some touch of Chris on it. Um, and so while I honestly, probably, if you would ask me five years ago, I would never have advocated like this, that would never work. We're, we're very involved. He knows my team. He knows their family dynamics. He knows everything about it. My team sometimes will call him. Like if it's a guy question, um, they'll call him and talk to him and vice versa. I'll talk to some of the ladies on his team. So we're in ministry together. We do work for separate organizations. Um, but we try to keep it together. I, I really am not the kind I don't advocate for, you know, keep ministry, keep your job, your job and your home, your home. I just don't operate that way. And Chris doesn't either. I, I think that's crazy. No, you're my best friend. I want you in part of every part of my life. And so I think we always have been healthier when we've been fully involved with each other's world. Um, and we also have the farm. So that is a ministry to us too. And we do have that path that we're like, literally physically linked armed and arms and arm arm and arm and chasing that. So I would say just even if you do work at separate places, even if one's in the marketplace and one's in, in ministry, put your callings together, ask God for a path to just show you, you know, yes, you may go to two separate places, but you can minister to, to some of your spouse's team and they can do vice versa, you know? And so I would just say, consider whatever God's given you both to do your, your family's ministry and how you might have different lanes to it, but that's your family's ministry. And what are you guys doing to, to minister and love those people? Do you feel like that has helped guard your marriage? The fact that you have this sort of framework that says we're in ministry together, even though you're in separate organizations or separate churches, even that that's helped been a guard to your, your marriage. Yes. I think the time that Chris and I've been married for 21 years, the time that I would say that we probably felt the least guarded, maybe the most susceptible in our marriage was when we were completely separate and um, both were high stress, high, fast paced, high stress jobs. Um, and they were so much stress in, in, and fast paced that they, we didn't have time. It wasn't that neither one of us cared. It's just, I don't have the emotional bandwidth to hear about your stress today. We had three little, little kids. Like, yeah. and so we had no emotional bandwidth to carry each other's lanes. And that's probably when I felt like we had the least covering over our marriage. Um, and, and we actually went to a marriage conference one weekend and we did all these tests. And, and one of the things we found out is both of our personalities and the way we're wired, we have to chase something together to stay intimately connected, like everything else, communication, physical intimacy, it all follows us being emotionally chasing something together. And that was eye-opening for us. And that's when we started to think about it that way. We might be in separate places, but we're in ministry together um, and we need to do that. So does that make sense? Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it makes me want to ask the question, like, I don't know why we always bring this up, but do you know your and Chris's Enneagram? Yes, I do. So I am, I'm so sorry, my dog. I am an eight and um, wing seven and he is a three wing two. Um, and so we both are either going to, do, we always laugh. We're like either going to do some good things together or we're going to drive each other off a cliff. <laughs> like One of us is going to drive the other because we're both drivers 
And uh, we don't have a lot of empathy for when, you know, one's down, you know what I mean? So we're both kind of like, come on, we committed to this, get yourself up. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, So you don't have time to sleep nine hours, you know? And uh, so, so that is, that can be a different dynamic. And we joke all the time because he's a we're both have a lot of D in us too on the disc. Yes. Um, so I'm an ID and he's an SD, but those could go either way as far as <laughs> which wins that day, the D or the I for me and the S or the D for him. So we always wake up, we always joke and say, so who gets to be the D today? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Listen, we need to know that before we start our day. So the yeah. other one can play the other role. <laughs> Lots of D and an eight and a three. They're going to get that church plan done. Oh, like, yeah. done. <laughs> like they're going to push through. Logistics like. is going to be the, the best church plan ever done. Yes. <laughs> I don't Columbia know about that. doesn't know what's coming. <laughs> Oh man, it's no scary. My problem is I'm a two and I got all the empathy for everybody. I yeah, feel everybody's true. feels. That's like, true. Somebody's sad in the room. I can feel it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, I mean, so with this transition, and this is we have a lot of pastors that listen to the show, a lot of different kinds of leaders that listen to the show. But I think one of the the critical areas of of neglect in the church world, especially, is the departure or the transition of pastoral leadership. I just, I'm not convinced that we've always done it very well, right? I think, and and there, and certainly there are a lot of different reasons why that could happen, and and we probably know what those are. But, but having lived through some, uh, some serious transitions issues in in pastoral ministry. Um, and you know, that's been difficult for you guys to navigate and and understand that, but, um, what are some of those things you think that could help us help other leaders, especially in the local church context where we can, we can live out this reality better of doing pastoral transitions or leadership transitions in some kind of more redemptive relational way that preserves the integrity of that relationship. Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, and I'm really passionate about that. So let me ask a clarifying, are you asking, how do we transition if we're on a church staff and we're leaving? Are you asking, how do we look at a pastor who's transitioning out of like a lead pastor position? How about we just go with the one you're most passionate about? Oh, I'm really passionate about both of them, but I'll start, I'll quickly hit the lead pastor one. And then, because I think we see that a lot, especially now everything gets put on social media. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm just going to share my thoughts real quick on that. I have worked for lead pastor who's fallen before and, um, and lost a lot. And um, so I'm just going to quickly speak on that Mm -hmm. and where I would dream of the church going at the church as a whole. And then I will talk on specific, like if you're leaving a church staff, is that okay? Can I hit? Okay. So real quick, I'm going to talk fast, but uh, a lead pastor transitioning out for whatever reason, I, I, I think we're so quick to always jump on the bad. And we have to remember that not everybody who does bad things is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I think that's what people want us to believe. They want to disprove that Christians genuinely do love Jesus and it's all for personal gain. And when I've watched this happen up close and personal through, through one I've worked for, and also through some of our really close friends, they are people who genuinely love Jesus and have given everything to follow them. 
And we've got to remember that good people get to dark places sometimes. And they need people that say, I still believe in you. I still believe you're a man of God. I still believe you've got good things left in you. And we got to be a church that, that the big C church that, that stands up and can give the same kind of grace to a leader that they stood up week after week, year after year and gave to us. And that's what I dream of in the church. The church as a whole is not set up in a way for lead pastors to ever raise their hand. Um, and if you do raise your hand, then you lose everything. You lose the food on your table. You lose everything you've ever worked for. You may lose your marriage. You lose all your friends. You lose every single thing. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't still raise our hand, but it never surprises me that people say, well, how come they didn't come forward? Well, they didn't come forward when they saw themselves slipping because they know they've seen it played out time and time and time again, and they get kicked to the yeah. curb. And that is scary as a provider. That's scary, you know? And so we've created this. My mom told me when I had little kids, don't ever, ever put your kids in a position to lie to you. If, if they lie, they get out of punishment, but if they tell the truth, they get punished. So don't ever say, did you, did you hit your little sister? And if you did, you don't get to go outside and play. Well, of course they're going to say, no, I didn't hit my little sister because they get punished for telling you the truth. And we've created that say, we've groomed this response, right. In our, in our church, in the, in the church. And so, and then when they come out and things have been building up, you know, and they've been covering things, we want to say they're just a wolf and they've never were good people. And it's not true, but we've created a culture that that lends itself very easily to to the humanity of us lying or covering or in that kind of stuff so my dream is that we do a much better job realizing that we're all messy there's very few people you can go in the bible and find their story and say oh if they were a lead pastor that would have cost them everything <laughs> if they're a lead pastor that would, like most people don't make it through their entire if you're going to be in it for the long haul there will come a point in your life no matter how godly you think you are where you will be tempted to throw it all away. Mm -hmm. And I never would have believed that seven years ago, but there will come a point if you are going to serve God from the time you get out of college to your deathbed, you will be tempted at least once, if not multiple times to throw it all away. Yeah. I want to and, just quickly speak oh, to the yeah. that point. No, um, because it was on social media recently. I don't even remember who it was, but somebody was leaving a position um, and they had to clarify that it was not a moral failure. Like they were like, God just has, has given us different direction. We're moving on. And by the way, nobody failed because <laughs> the presumption almost immediately anymore is that you're leaving because of moral failure. Right. We, can't right. Just, we almost can't just say, Hey, God's doing something different and moving us. Cause everybody right. goes, now what did they do wrong? Now what happened? Tell us the mm -hmm. whole story. Mm -hmm. So on the other side, I wish the church would just go, Hey, not everybody who's leaving a spot or leaving a position is a failure or had failure in their life. God may have just spoke and said, it's time to move on. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I'm just on that side either. Yeah. Exactly. Sure. No, everybody wants the, what <laughs> the story behind the story, you know, and then, um, and then just quickly to speak on if, if you're leaving a church position and God did call you on to, to something else, um, then there's just a few things that I, I, I tell my team all the time. I've never, ever seen somebody with a sour attitude, no matter how great of a performer you were when you're on the team, if you leave with a sour attitude, you'll never be missed ever. 
We never miss somebody that leaves with a sour attitude. And, um, and, and so I just think that that's, that's a careful side of it. I also think you do have, God has trusted you with the privilege of seeing all the ins and outs and seeing the messiness. He thought that you could handle the messiness of the humans, you know, doing the work of the Lord at that church, mm-hmm. handle it, be big enough to handle it. Don't go out. Don't show and tell. I mean, the, the, the church is the bride of Christ and, and this may be a little bold to say, but like, you don't, I don't tell all Chris's secrets to every, there's very intimate things about my husband that I protect because he's my husband and I love him and I'm going to cover his, his gaps in, and I'm going to keep his biggest insecurities and vulnerabilities between he and I, there's some things about that, that we need to understand with the bride of Christ. Like you don't, you don't, you don't, God trusted you with all of that. And there are spots in that, that we've got to work on and clean up, work on and clean it up, you know, and, and learn from that. Um, but don't, don't show and tell. It's just not, it's, it's, it's immature. Um, and the biggest place that I see people do that when they leave and start gossiping is I tell people, if you weren't friends with somebody who, when they were on the church staff with you, don't try to be church friends with them when you're off the church staff together, <laughs> because more than likely you're going to be friends over the things that you might might have if God was calling you and you left, but may, sometimes there's just differings of visions and differings of opinions and differing leadership styles. And if you leave like that, that's totally fine. Like this is not, you're not, it's not a marriage covenant. You don't have to stay there your entire career. And that is totally fine. Just be careful. If you weren't friends when you're on the team, then when you're off the team, both lots of times you're going to be friends for what you're against. And that is going to be dangerous. And that is very rarely I've ever seen that be a godly friendship and a godly relationship. Um, and so I think that, you know, just realizing that, that, that gossip hurts. And then, um, one other thing is just remembering that, you know, I've been through some painful circumstances in leadership or in, in church, but at the end of the day, I would not be in my next season if it weren't for my last season. Mm -hmm. So you can always look at that and say, if it weren't for, yes, that caused me a lot of pain, but somebody believed in me and gave me an opportunity that allowed me to be in the opportunity I am today, I would not be there. And so I'm so thankful for every single leader I've had an opportunity to work for. They have believed in me. They have given me opportunity. And honestly, they even trusted me with the messiness of it all. You know what I mean? And sometimes that messiness hurts and it bruises. But at the end of the day, it comes back to the local church. Do you love the local church? If you love the local church, you might walk with a limp, but you keep walking and you keep going and you keep serving the bride of Christ. You know, Jesus didn't get out of this world without wounds and most of us aren't either. He just didn't become embittered towards those wounds. Those were, were a reminder of his love, right? I love it. you so much. I died for you. I have wounds from the local church, but they remind me of how much I love the local church not how much I hate it, how much I love it. And loving people, you deal with messiness and you get wounded, but those wounds remind you of what you love. And so just that's, that's what I would say to people leaving. Yeah. So as an executive pastor, you have a lot of responsibility with sort of other staff pastors and people involved in, in leadership. Um, when have you seen, and how can have you helped somebody who was on staff, and their time to go just came. And how have you coached them to, to recognize that? Because I feel like one of the things we do in church, because it is our provision, because it is our source, we sometimes stay too long. Like, oh, absolutely. Like God has spoken to us or, or just, just we're done with that season or we're bitter now. 
Um, how have you helped or how could you help somebody who, who it's time for them to move on and they just can't seem to either get the message. I hate to say it that way. That seems mean, but, but recognize it and step, step out of the, where they are. Absolutely. So there's usually two different reasons where I see that it's time to move on. Either there's a, a misalignment with the vision or even the staff operation. They just don't like the way, you know, um, or there is an incompetency. Those are usually the two times that I see like as, as a leader, those two avenues tend to get us to the point where it's time to move on. Um, I think Craig Rochelle says it best. Like if somebody walked in your office and quit today, would you be relieved or would you be upset? If you're relieved, you probably need to be having a conversation, right? As the leader. And so, uh, but those are usually the two avenues, uh, competency or just the, the misalignment. And for both of those, I always operate under, I always say clear and kind to be unclear is to be unkind. Um, but to be clear is to be kind. And so I always want my communication to be kind. That's really important to me, but I always also want it to be clear. And I don't think it's kind to allow you, let's just say if it's a competency issue, I don't think it's kind to let you sit at a table when I know everybody else in the room doesn't value a single thing that comes out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. And we're rolling our eyes or we're cutting you off because we don't value what you say because you either can't execute it or it's it's lower lower level than where we're operating, you know, those kinds of things. I think that that's, that's actually a cruel leader. I don't think the nice leader just lets them come in the room because they're patient. I think that leader's cruel because that person has a calling just as great as any calling of anybody else in that room. They just haven't found the right lane for that. They haven't figured out. And that's my job. My job when I pick up a team on a church staff is to help every single one of them become the best version of them for the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so I'm not by letting them sit there in a room that they're unqualified to be in, I'm actually saying, I don't care enough about your potential to put you, help you get in the right room, in the right area. And so that's the competency side. I look at it as it's crueler to leave you there. It's unkind to do that. Um, and then when it comes to the, the other misalignment and vision, it's cruel and it's devastating to the house to allow someone who's constantly embittered to be a part of things. And so after I see that for a while, I I would just, I mean, there would be multiple conversations along the way, but I would say, hey, listen, there is an angst about your soul here and you can't seem to rectify that. I've tried to have vision conversations. I've tried to give you our staff values, like whatever that is, but there's an angst about you. And that's okay. Because where I see that happen a lot is let's say your lead pastor has a different gift of the spirit than, than somebody does. And sometimes I, I look at this differently. Lots of times I feel like it's a spiritual maturity thing. And sometimes like young leaders can't understand that you're called to be maybe a teacher in your pastor and is an evangelist. And you just can't rectify the fact that he's not more teacher and the way you reach people is through teacher. You know what I mean? Or the way you reach yeah. people is through discipleship. But the truth is, the truth is when you do it long enough, that's why he puts the body together. And there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. Like there just is. And it's not the local church. There can be tons of different ways the local church operates because the local church is just, it's Jesus, right? We're not changing that. But if, if my lead pastor is an evangelist and your lead pastor is a disciple or a a teacher and, and focus on discipleship, 
our church is going to look totally different. They're both moving the kingdom of God forward. And so as an executive, I can get underneath that leadership of that person and help uh, bring that gift further um, to fruition. But sometimes young leaders have a hard time with that and, and have a hard time like rectifying that the way they feel is so right for reaching people is, is it the way the church maybe is outwardly operating? And where I see that often is just, there's an angst in your soul that you can't quite rectify. Mm -hmm. I would encourage you at this season of your development and your career to work for a, a ministry that is more aligned with your personal spiritual gift. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it makes, it makes perfect, perfect sense. sense. I yeah. know you, and, you and Chris do a lot of uh, consulting and conversations with other churches, other leaders, um, in my personal kind of philosophy, when I step into a consulting situation where I'm talking to the senior leader, that alignment and agreement question is like the, one of the first things I feel like as someone who's coming from the outside in and trying to help, you know, resolve conflict or put in health strategies or whatever is having this conversation about alignment and agreement, because it's never about agreement. It's always about alignment, right? I mean, right. we, we need those dissenting voices on our teams and our leadership, uh, you know, sort of groups to, to have differing opinions and open up ideas for different perspectives and to see other people's gifts shine. That's, that's about agreement, but this alignment conversation is about the heart spiritual sort of covering. Can I follow you? Can I follow where this church is going? Can I follow where this leader is leading in such ways that I can promote, I can build, that I can that I can support, that I can pray about, that I can get by. You know what I'm saying, right? So yes, this alignment and agreement conversation is so critical to leadership. And the reason why I think it's critical is because we don't do a great job a lot of times in the local church context, and I'm very careful to, to bag on the local church, but we don't do a great job sometimes of allowing or helping or assisting people find their highest, best use. Yes. So we allow them to stay too long in positions that they shouldn't be mm -hmm. or in places that they, you know, ought not be either out of pride or ego or compassion or fear or whatever the things are. Right. But it actually doesn't help build the body of the church. So. Yeah. And I, I think for young leaders who are zealous to get position and get an opportunity, they will often put themselves in a spot where they're out of alignment. They say yes to the first opportunity or what looks like the best opportunity. And listen, I did it as a young man. I put myself in a position to where I was out of alignment and it was a, it was a long journey of three years. Um, not that God didn't use me and do good things, but there was that angst, there was that tension. So, so for young leaders who are listening, don't just say yes to the opportunity or the position because it was offered. As much as they're interviewing you, you need to interview them and go, hey, is this a house? Is this a leader? Is this values and vision I can connect with and align myself to? And you better be able to say yes to that before you say yes to the so position. Yeah, well, That's important. So again, Holly, this has been incredible. Um, you and Chris are some of our favorite, favorite leaders all time. Chris, if you want to listen to Chris's episode, it's episode 35. Go back and listen to that because that was like leadership, like 101, 201, 301. And by the end of the conversation, <laughs> a master's class yeah. in, in leadership. It was so good. Um, we do want to kind of wrap up here. We have one final question. Yep. We, we talked about this when you were on campus about your college experience. But we ask every one of our guests, we do record here at the uh, the great rainy Lee University. Lots of rain here in the winter. 
Um, the same question. What is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? Oh, wow. One lesson. Okay. So I went to nursing school and, um, okay. I learned a lot in the classroom. I don't know that I had a lot of time outside. <laughs> to learn much of anything I was like in a book the whole the whole time um but I would say probably that your ability to connect with people is going to get you a lot farther than anything you could learn academically I remember uh, when I went to interview for positions and I really wanted to be a pediatric nurse and every one of our instructors said, you know, just when, just so you know, when you get out of here, you will not get to specialize in anything. You're going to have to go, they call it the med surge floors. And that's the floors where, you know, everybody, all the adults go that, uh, you know, you're not going to cardiac, you're not going to ortho, you're going to just the random floors. It's the hardest floors to work on the hardest floors for any hospital staff. And so that's where they put all the new grads. And that's what they kept telling us. That's where you're going to go. That's where you're going to be. And I was like, no, I want to be a pediatric nurse and I'm, I'm going to do pediatrics. And so they're like, don't even interview. You won't get an interview. And um, anyways, crazy thing. I got an interview and um, I remember just thinking this is such a far chance. There's no way I'm going to get it. But just really connecting with the leader of that floor, asked her all kinds of questions about herself, about her family. And I hadn't even passed my exam yet. And she called me that night and asked me if I'd be willing to take a job when I got out of school on pediatrics. And I was like thrilled. But I think that day I realized had nothing to do with my test scores in nursing. It had everything to do with just looking her in the eye, being genuinely curious about people. And I made a ton of mistakes. So I'm not like saying that in any way to brag. But I just remember people want people to work for them that that care about their burdens that that can hear them can understand the stress that they as a leader might be feeling um and so i think just just to remember that academics are fabulous but the ability to connect with somebody a parent if you see a child and you bend down to that child's level and look their child in the eye you won that parent over it doesn't matter what you say to the parent you won the parent over you look that child in the in at their level and squatted down and talk to them they love you they're going to trust you um and social skills i think are just becoming a higher and higher value the more we go more and more to screen so um keep practicing those social skills you know make the phone calls even though texting is easier those type of things i think are, are just becoming a greater value for for our culture absolutely absolutely Holly, we've loved having you on the show and we are so excited for you and for chris and for what's coming up next and uh, jeff and i are going to do our best to get out there and see you guys and visit with you at some point Please. Yeah, at Mule Town Farm. Make sure you make follow yeah. at is it at that Mule Town Farm, right? At Mule Town Farm. Yep. Beautiful images like yeah. over there. And when I come, if you need me to like do some farm work, I'm I'm a handy farm guy. So the haircut doesn't <laughs> give that away, but no. he he does have some skills. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, we will definitely take you up on that. You can teach us how to saddle our horses. <laughs> hey, I can do that. I know. Well, we blew it this spring, and I fell off and uh, broke my arm. But oh, I blame it on Chris because he didn't know how to put the saddle on right. <laughs> well, we'll have to work on that. We'll have to work on that. But you guys, That's right. uh, God bless you and all the work that you're doing. And uh, at Mule Town Farms, can we follow and find you anywhere else? Yes, I'm on Twitter at Holly Brown One and Instagram at Holly Brown Eleven. Awesome. Awesome. awesome.
as we always like to say here on the show, you've got a seat at the table, Holly. Thanks for being on. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Hey, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of The Leadership Drip. We loved having you at the table for this conversation. Would you do us a favor and comment, rate, subscribe, and share on your social media? That way we can get this content to other great leaders. And stay connected with us on Instagram at The Leadership Drip and on Twitter at Leadership Drip. And remember, you have a seat at the table.